handing out heroin will help people overcome heroin. Defunding the cops will make us safer. Determining people are flawed and violent because of their skin color is not racism. Doctors cannot tell when a baby's born if it's a boy or a girl, so they guess. Your mask protects me and my mask protects you. If I get the magic injection, I'm safe from infection. Unless you don't get the magic injection, in which case you're a murderer. How do people end up believing this? More importantly, how do we stop our nation from completely subjecting themselves and becoming submissive, not just to these ideas, but more importantly, to the people who know exactly what they're doing in breaking brains. The Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile. Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Fair is fair. We feature our other partners during the week. We're featuring ourselves. The ToddHermanShow.com is where you get the t-shirts. And I'm anticipating a text here in the next few minutes from Randy, who's kind enough to do the shirts for us at the ToddHermanShow.com that we need to stop <laughs> promoting them. Last time it was a thousand and one day. We'll see how many this time. It's the ToddHermanShow.com. How do people believe such things? How do people get into a position uh, where they believe what, what is demonstrable nonsense? Because I lived in a city that had fallen for such nonsense, and that's the separate country of Seattle now. It's now its own city. I watched people fall for the most unbelievable ideas. And it, was, it, it became truly frightening because a lot of times it was smart people who would fall for this stuff. And I don't want to belabor it because I know the show has, you know, courtesy of, of God and, and, and Rush, God rest Rush. You know, the podcast's a national footprint and courtesy of you guys for sharing it. That is the only way the show grows right now. Although I guess we are having some success with this ad campaign on Gab. We'll look at the numbers later and study those. Remember, being in a radio studio a couple different times, it were very, very instructive for me. One case was where a reporter, and this is when I was working at the, uh, they call it the Big Tent radio station, and there was a day when that was a very, very special radio station, Cairo Radio. Now it's a great big radio station with a couple of very special shows. And I was talking to a reporter because she gave out a news story. And in that news story, it was explained that, and I'm saying it that way because I don't remember whether it was the reporter or sound she played. 
that the, quote, bullets in an AR-15 can be the size of a football. (laughs) A football. And I went to the reporter and I waited until she was alone. You know, not a bunch of people standing around. Criticize in private, praise in public. And I said to her, I, I, by name, I addressed her. I won't say her name here. I said, are you open to any feedback on that story? And she said, well, of course. And I said, the rounds in an AR-15 are not the size of a football. Let me show you what they look like, please. And I showed her a picture of myself with an AR-15 and with a mag and with some rounds in the background. And she said, well, I was quoting the chairwoman of a congressional committee investigating this. She did the story again an hour later. She didn't change it. How could she believe this? Another instance, and I don't mean to pick on media people, but these are people who should know who, what, where, when, why. You follow the facts. Another instance, and this this woman, I thought, in fact, no, that's not true. We had been really good friends, and then COVID came. And she was reporting on the attempt to murder federal officers by a um, Antifa terrorist with an Antifa offshoot called the John Brown Gun Club. They're a left-wing militia. And he attempted to murder federal officers in Tacoma, Washington at the detention center there by shooting at propane tanks and, and trying to blow them up. Well, in fact, I think he did blow some up and then trying to kill the cops. Eventually he was killed. And the Seattle Times eulogized him and he was a beautiful, beautiful poet. And uh, he was just a good man, just wanted change. And uh, the News Tribune of Tacoma eulogized him and he was a beautiful poet, just a man who wanted change. And my friends read some news about him. And I said, I'm curious, why would you not call him a terrorist? And she said, what? I said, why would you not call him a terrorist? He, he tried to kill federal officers and in fact, tried to murder civilians to affect a political change. Why would you not call him a terrorist? And she goes, wow, I guess it never occurred to me that he was anything like a terrorist. Living in a city that has fallen Mean that you are living, it means that you are living around minds that have been broken. Minds that can drive by homeless encampments and think it's a good idea to get more encampments. It is people who can walk to work watching as people overdose on a very regular basis. Or, for instance, a friend of mine who had to attack a man who had been trying to rape his wife. And thank goodness that he had the physical ability to do this because he himself struggled with heroin addiction at the time. Very functional, brilliant man, unbelievably kind. I still love him. And he came upon a man who was trying to rape his wife. He out of an encampment. And he had to tackle the man and beat him up and save his wife. And he did. And God bless him for it. 
And he still thinks it's a good idea that we hand out needles. And it's going beyond that. If you live in a fallen city, it's because you live around fallen minds. And in the case of the, of the fallen and separate countries of Seattle and, and, and the ones we mentioned so often on the show, it's also not a coincidence that you live in a godless area. Not that God's not there. God's very present. But you live in an arena, in an area, and you look at the fallen cities and they have these things in common. It's great wealth and great poverty, which is on purpose by the people who want to uh, take the country apart. Seattle has great wealth. It's a great place to go Lamborghini watching or, or lately Tesla watching, though I imagine that's changed since Elon Musk is now a, a fascist and all. It's also a, an unbelievably sad place to go poverty watching. Same with Los Angeles, same with Portland, any of those cities. Austin's the same. And Austin's getting terrible. But it's the fallen minds and it's the godlessness. Because when you have nothing against which to measure your morality, there's no agreed upon morality. And in fact, when you, and I'll say it this way more strictly, when you don't follow the plan that God laid out, you're, you're following a flawed blueprint. And that flawed blueprint is bound, bound, bound to fail. And that's what we're watching. So what do we do? I've been talking for almost a decade about how the left traumatizes people mentally and how everything is a catastrophe and everything is emergency and everything is a life-saving measure. And every minute you don't vote for them or give them money, you're, you are allowing the evil people to sneak in and stomp you. And it's resulted in some things that are, frankly, they're, they're breathtakingly funny and breathtakingly frightening all at the same time. This is the woman to whom we are to refer as the vice president of the United States. This is theater. This is the, there's never been, nor will there ever be a sincere meeting that begins this way. Uh, good afternoon. I want to welcome these leaders for coming in to have this very important discussion um, about some of the most pressing issues of our time. Um, I am Kamala Harris. My pronouns are she and her. I am a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. And, um, and dumb, uh, yeah, and dumb. That's never, a real meeting never begins that way. And by the way, if you have to say the issues are important, they're not. And you'll notice that she says her pronouns, which, by the way, is supposed to replace the word woman, Cammie. She can't even keep the, the transgender ideology straight in her head. No one really can. Because it's a lie, because of it. There's someone far more educated than me. Well, like most people are far more educated than I am. He's an author of a very, very important book. And the book is called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. And he's been giving a series of interviews. And one of the things I wish that we had in resource-wise in the show is someone to help us book interviews with guys like this. That You wouldn't believe how time-consuming it is uh, to book interviews with busy, busy people. And I want you to hear his words. And we'll get to that in a second. But that's the woman that we're, we're to believe is, is, is vice president material. In fact, that she's presidential material. In that little stage play, that skit. Or there's this. When Dr. Jill becomes a Surgeon General, 
his wife. Yeah, Joe Biden's wife, because she, you know, she he would thing? never do it. But she, it's, yeah, she's a hell of a doctor. She's an amazing doctor. I thought she was I a doctor like, and PhD. Yeah, yeah I don't, I don't, I, I, I could be wrong. I thought she was yeah, a I think she's, I she's, she's oh. a teacher, but, you know. <laughs> she's a teacher, but. <laughs> Look. It's one thing to say Jill's a doctor, but then she adds the uh, the adjective, and she curses in her adjective. Oh yeah, she's a she's a heck of a doctor, really. Oh, I love situations like that. I, I, I love to draw people out of those situations. I love to sit and go, yeah. Oh, so you've met her, and and what people say, oh yeah, yeah, I've met her. Now, what does she practice? Uh, you said that she's a heck of a doctor. Did you did you see her personally? And I wouldn't be surprised if Opie said yes, yes. She treated my uh, gallstones. Your gallstones, huh? What'd she do to them? Well, it wasn't her, but it was someone she knew. The phrase. Mass formation psychosis was banned from Twitter. They are working and intend to ban the phrase groomer from Twitter. The author of this book doesn't call it mass formation psychosis. He just calls it mass formation. Well, it is a psychosis. But as Bert Weinstein points out, that, sh that, that, that phrase is subjective and it may turn some people away from the truth, but the truth is so very evident. This is also from the view, and I don't mean to pick on them. They exist to be played in conservative media formats. The reason I play them is because the view is a show that can only exist in a country where people have been victimized by mass formation because what you're listening to is madness right here. They were out there. Neo Nazis were in the front of turning out there in front of the conference uh, with anti Semitic um, slurs. And, um, you know, the Nazi swastika mm -hmm. and a picture of a so called Jewish person with mm -hmm. exaggerated features, just like, Her like Goebbels did in the Hitler in during the Third Reich. It's the same thing, right out of that same playbook. Mm -hmm. Okay, and DeSantis did not say anything about it. Nothing. So it's his uh, sort of his rendition of uh, good people on both sides. Mm -hmm. Same idea. So you have to read this thing. Oh, I've got a legal note. Uh, the conservative oh, group. Sonny normally does this, but you I know, yes. I know. Yes. This is our knockoff lawyer. Okay. The conservative group Turning Point USA has condemned the group of neo Nazis and said they have nothing to do with the organization. Yeah, but where was DeSantis? Is what I want to know. The people standing outside that event were carrying flags with clear creases in them. You could see that the flags had just come out of a box. They probably just arrived from Amazon.com. They were all wearing masks. The same thing that Saul Alinsky did. Saul Alinsky was the guy who invented the, hey, go to their rallies and show up and pretend to be KKK members. Now, at the time, the KKK was still very connected to the Democrat Party because it was the 50s and the 60s. Because that was, that was its home, the Democrat Party. So he said, yeah, just put it on them. Show up their rallies. 
There are independent journalists who were there watching this and talked to these guys. None of their stories matched. And incidentally, they didn't get into it. They didn't get into the event. Hopi says, oh, well, they let him into the event. That's the same Hopi who says that Jill Biden is a doctor in a medical sense. And a great one, by the way, a great doctor. There are the following people in our country in relation to psychology and politics. There are the unengaged, the apathetic. We talked about them this week. The apathetic, tyranny loves apathy. Loves it. Because it is easier to divide and conquer. We talked about that yesterday. I hope you heard that. Because this show is sort of a follow-up on that. There are the people, and this is now taking the work of this author. And we'll get into his words because they're more important than mine. Um, But what Matthias Desmond says is that there are people who are fully engaged and they've they've bought this stuff absolutely like Hopi and other victims and victims you know. There are people who want to fight this stuff. That's, I think, this audience in this podcast. Uh, Not this podcast, but this audience in this podcast. In other words, the, the podcast family. I believe we want to fight this stuff, right? Then there's the fence sitters. And we've often talked about on this program and on the radio show back in the day, triage. There's some people that are lost. We should not spend our energy. We should pray for them. Around them, we should ask the the Lord Jesus to show himself through us to them. that, That we should make our hearts available. We should pray for opportunities to witness to them. We should ask for those to be placed in front of us and prayerfully ask, but we shouldn't spend time trying to convince them of things because they're lost. And I would compare it this way, triage-like. If you're trying to rescue someone from a building that's been attacked, God forbid, the people who are falling, you can't get to. They're falling. The people hanging on by their hands to the windowsills, we can get to them. That's the people we need to get to, is the people who sit in the middle. And he does a great job of describing why people sit in the middle. And we'll get to his words. And I'd also ask us as we listen to this together, because I'll be listening later, I'm listening as I speak. To remember what we talked about earlier this week with the Lord Jesus in Revelation said to a church, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, and I'm getting ready to spit you out of my mouth. Sitting on the fence as a consumer of Christianity makes us just like the people who are allowing mass formation to roll across this country, fence-sitting. It's the fence-sitting that allows it to roll. And that's what Matthias Desmus talks about. We'll go through his explanation of what mass formation is with commentary on that. We'll talk about what people are likely to do if this continues and what the two groups are willing are, are likely to do, and maybe some ways that we can confront this together. Because if we don't, 
this nation, like every other that's been in this stage, will completely fall. I was just talking with someone uh, about finance. I was just sitting, I'm trying to remember where this was. Oh, physical therapy. I got to talking with someone in the lobby about this because we're reading the, he's reading the paper. I'm reading my phone. He said, I see his face and shakes his head. And I said, Oh, what's going on? And he said, actually I said, fun times in the news. And he goes, how, how, how can we continue to spend this money? And he goes, I don't want to talk about politics. You said, you can talk about anything you want with me. How are we continuing to spend this money? We don't have this money. And I said, no, we don't. He shook his head and he's an old guy like me. He goes, when I grew up, you spent within your means. <laughs> I said, yeah, I get it. And that's the change. That's the change. Um, we're bankrupt. The nation is bankrupt. They have bankrupted us. Now, people come back from bankruptcy all the time. Christ is on the throne, right? And his treasures in heaven, not treasures in earth. And... Our treasures in earth are what allow us to help build the kingdom and feed our family because people who don't feed their families, well, the Bible doesn't look very well on us if we're not feeding our families. Those who can't work, we need to care for. Those who won't, well, they don't eat. The people at Bulwark Capital Management take a super clear-eyed approach to finance and they treat your money as a stewardship mission because that is the big change. In the chief investment officer's life, Zach Abraham, he worked for a couple of different firms and a couple of different firms fell victim to a couple of different economic situations in this rigged economy. And Zach finally looked at this and said, wait a minute, why am I putting my trust in man? Why am I not putting my trust in God? And he turned and he created Bulwark Capital Management. And that was a good long time ago. He'd shared with me recently in a podcast that 90 or more percent of his personal money, his, his net worth is tied to that firm. What does that tell you? See, this isn't like BlackRock or Vanguard where the people who run that, they'll never hurt for money. No matter what happens to their funds, he still holds it close and understandably focuses on risk management. Here's the sweet spot. And I tell you, if you are in the five to 10 year window from retirement, it is so important that you get with Bulwark Capital Management and examine the risk management strategy. Just call them. They're at 866-779-RISK. That's 866-779-RISK or go to knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advice cannot be given without a client services agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative, Trek Financial LLC and SEC registered investment advisor. Dang it, I'm getting pretty good at that, you guys. I think that's the second time I sort of nailed that to write it as the music reps. And by the way, I know that's not exciting to you, but can we all just celebrate for your rodeo clown host that he gets to be excited that he pulls that off? That is kind of a stunt in radio. We do give ourselves challenges like that. Back in the days of live radio, it was so fun to, to talk right up to the, where the show ended. I used to love, in fact, you know, not to, not, not to, not to digress, but just for one kind of funny story is, uh, is I was in New York, uh, with team EIB, uh, and I said, I, we got to get this in before the end of the show. And Allie, who's a senior producer and call screener there. And she she works for Buck and, and Clay now. Great, great, great producer, super cool lady. And she said, are you sure you can get this in? 
She goes, I mean, Todd, I know we're supposed to do this, but we can bump it. They go, no, 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 we're not going to bump it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And you get this feeling as this host and you're watching the clock and you're thinking, okay, I have 47 seconds to do two minutes of auto. How am I going to do this? And it's sort of a challenge you give yourself from time to time. Anyway, digression over. This is the author of the book, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, talking about mass formation, which we know as mass formation psychosis. Mass formation is, is, is a, it's a specific kind of group formation, which has very specific effects at the level of individual mental functioning. For instance, if people are in the grip of a process of mass formation, they tend to become radically blind for everything that goes against the narrative the group believes in. It is as if they don't have any capacity anymore to take a critical distance of what the group believes in. And this holds even for people who are extremely intelligent and, 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 and highly educated. So that's, that's one of the, of the strangest things of mass formation. Um, even the higher the level of education, it has been observed time and time again, the more vulnerable people become for mass formation, which is quite strange, of course. Um, then a second characteristic, a very important uh, 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 characteristic of mass formation is that as people are in the grip of it, they typically become willing to self-sacrifice. It is as if they are no longer aware of their own individual interests, as if they are willing to sacrifice everything for the sake of the collective interests, and to a very extreme extent. And, and that's, that's the whole point of this, that last part, sacrifice for the collective. Uh, gas prices uh, might be high, but this is a great opportunity uh, uh, to transition uh, to the uh, uh, electric uh, horse carts. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm only to pay $7.50 per gallon for getting to the electric horse car. I meant cars, electric cars. Thank you. Why educated people? This country puts a silly and stupid premium on degrees. Now, education is vital. You know what's more important? What you know and how you know how to do it. A piece of paper is a piece of paper. Hey, congratulations. You're super good at taking tests and writing papers. That's awesome. I'm glad you did that. Was that a good experience? Yes. Okay. Let's talk about your, let's talk about your intelligence. And this is one of the things that they used to get right in high tech hiring is they would have you problem solve. They would give you something you couldn't have researched. In fact, in fact, when I was in a Microsoft interview, they were getting into that point because the guy got up to the black part. I'm like, okay, here comes the problem solving stuff. And he started to write some stuff. I said, hey, can I stop you for a second? I studied the manhole thing. And he said, the what? I said, manholes. I know how many manholes there are. He goes, you do? Yeah, I studied it. How did you figure that out? I said, well, I went through that. I, I, I don't want to you know, bedrag this, but I said, I went through some municipalities, major municipalities and did this estimate. And so I was actually ready with the numbers. I just wanted you to know, but let's do manholes. Yes, I can't do manholes now. So give me some other problem. And then it's about your problem solving. And do you know how to ask questions? And, and this is the point about why is it that educated people do this? Because of the way education has changed. Education has become, here's a plate of knowledge we want you to have. It's limited in scope, limited in, in, in intellectual and nutritional value, purposely limited. And the further we move down the path, the more purposely limited this is. We're not going to teach you about the tricameral system because we don't want you to know about the tricameral system. We're not going to teach you 
that the, the founders of this country studied every single government um, in, in, in history, including the tribes. They studied the native tribes. How did they do it? And it was based upon that study that they said, what are the advantages and disadvantages of these systems? And how are we going to make the maintenance uh, of, of maintaining the God-given right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? How are we going to protect that knowing how governments metastasize and become cancerous? How will we do that? They don't want you to know that. So you end up with people who come out of college and they have been formed and then the people who run the country, they go to those colleges. Like I constantly say, give me the Supreme Court justice who's not a lawyer because they don't have to be lawyers. Give me someone who's a constitutional expert. Give me someone who understands the history of the Constitution. Doesn't need to be a lawyer. The more lawyers in the room, the more lawyerly things they're going to do. So the more educated is, as obviously a simple way to say it, is the more indoctrinated. But the reverse of this the reverse of this is people who've had to teach themselves things, develop the muscle of having to figure things out. Okay, so what has become your personal process for figuring things out? You might not even know. I was, I was 47 years old before I figured out that I had developed the skill of pattern recognition. I had to have someone else tell me a really brilliant and wonderful and beautiful man who worked at Microsoft where he said, and he said it in a way that I wouldn't say about myself ever. But he said, oh, that's genius. The way you connect those two things. I said, wait, wait, it's not genius, but what do you mean? He said, you're taking these two things and connecting me to this other thing. That's, that's a, gosh, that's a brilliant way to think. I said, it's not brilliant. It's just creative. That's how we end up in these circumstances. So if you're a farmer, you have to problem solve all the time in finance. And you may well have a finance degree and be a farmer. Farmer, many, 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 many people do. But you have to solve HR things all the time. The other day, I was talking to the guy who runs my, 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 my favorite pizza place, my, uh, my ritual, Rob. And say, what's your day? He goes, oh my gosh, I had, to fi I had to fix the wiring and the plumbing. And then I had to have an inspector come and make sure I did it right. And I said, do you know how to do this? He goes, absolutely. That's the thing about being a small business owner. There's not a piece of equipment in here I don't know how to work on. Mass formation works with the so-called educated because it has been handed to them, except for key things. Did Jesus Christ walk the earth? Well, there's a lot of debate about that. In fact, uh, there's very little record of the uh, existence of a person named Jesus. A lot of it is colloquial. Wrong. Wrong. There's far more record of Christ Jesus than there is of Shakespeare. In terms of actual history, well, I'm not counting the New Testament. The New Testament's unwar it's uh, unreliable because the people who wrote it uh, were hooked up with the conspiracy to invent uh, Christianity. Wrong. Wrong. Josephus was a Jewish academic who collaborated with the Romans, who wrote firsthand accounts of what Jesus was doing at the time. Well, resurrection and wrong. There were people there, not Christian, who observed that and wrote about it. Why don't I know this? And there, folks, 
Let's remember that phrase together. Why don't I know this? You know, those people who are hanging on to the windowsills, the people that we can save. Let's remember the phrase, why don't I know this? Because what we're going to begin to ask them is, that's fascinating. How did you learn that? We'll get back to the words of the author here too, far more important than mine. It really is remarkable. Looking back at old pictures of myself. And I want to get about me, but I, I, I'm trying to find uh, some pictures of when I was fat, but strong. Um, and when I was fat, man, I was fat. I had jeans that were 58 at least in the waist. And I remember going to Sears and when they put in the big and tall section at Sears and I heard about it. And I go down there and then it happened. I was going, what if I run out of belts in the big and tall here? I was looking at pictures of myself and I was kind of wondering, and someone asked me this the other day, like when you, you could lift all that weight, like you use the 400 pound bench press club or very close to it. Like, can you imagine all the muscle you had under you? Steve, yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Thank you for bringing that up. Now that the 150 pounds of fat is gone. And I look back at those pictures and I think 20 years ago, not quite because my daughter had just been born. So 17, 18 years ago, what, 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 what could have been? Well, flash forward. Where are you now with the unwanted fat around your body? What will the pictures look like if you don't do anything? What do you want them to look like? For me, and it's not healthy to live in regret. But for me, I do wonder as I'm looking at these pictures, man, if I dropped that 150 pounds of fat then, what would that have been like? What would be the physical things I'd been able to do? How much more fun would I had? What kind of things could I have competed at? Now, that's me. That doesn't need to be for you. It can be how much less knee pain. How much more time can I spend running with my grandkids? How much longer will I live? Will I get to be a great grandparent? All those things that matter. For me, it's soda weight loss. SOTA, it stands for state of the art. Why? Because they're going to treat you like an individual. Because they're going to create a plan for you. And it's not just about dropping the unwanted fat for a bit and then coming back later. It's about making sure that through your duration here, that you get to a sustainable and healthy body composition. My suggestion, do it as a couple. Do it as a gift to one another. It's sodaweightloss.com, S-O-T-A. And as I say, it stands for state of the art because they are. Sodaweightloss.com. Um, the other day on the show, Zach Abraham said something really, really cool. He said that his great-grandpappy said, I'm less interested in what you know than how you came to know it. I can often determine the quality of someone's knowledge if I can determine how they gained that knowledge. When we're dealing with mass formation, we need to be ready with the question or a phrase that goes something like this, which is, Wow, that's interesting. How did you come to know that? Because if we don't get to that point, we may end up in a very, very dangerous point in terms of this earth. But then I just caution us. 
Let's not fear those who can harm the body. Let's only fear those, the one entity who could harm the soul. And a third uh, crucial phenomenological characteristic of mass formation is that uh, it, people who are in the grip of it typically become radically intolerant for dissonant voices. And in the end, this goes quite far. In the end, uh, people who are in the grip of mass formation uh, typically start to commit cruelties and atrocities towards the people that do not go along with the masses. And even more specific, they do so as if it is an ethical duty to do so. That's typical for, for, for masses of all times. Now, now think about this. He's talking about it as if it's an ethical duty. How many people have come at you as if it's an ethical duty? I hope you're putting that mask on. It's my ethical duty to tell you this. Well, I hope that shows you what happens when you vote for Trump. And people do treat it like an ethical duty. I, I, I tell you, when you live in a fallen country, around a lot of fallen minds, there's a lot of ethical duties people will come to you with. Well, um, I would just say that, um, Todd, the reason that I choose to call them a they is because they recognize themselves and they express themselves as non-binary, neither male nor female. So I respect their humanity. And, and because of that, I call them a they. And I wonder, could you just come around to respect their humanity? It's your ethical duty. I see. You know, the guy... Tim Iman, this he won't that name won't mean people anything to people outside of Washington State, but you know Tim Iman, the 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 activist, mm -hmm. he calls himself a citizen rights activist. What do you guys call him? Well, he's an anti-tax activist. He's anti-government zealot. But 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 he identifies as a citizen activist. But that has nothing to do with his humanity. How did you learn? that he's anti-government. How did you learn that? The better response for me would have been, that's interesting. How did you learn that something, that someone can be neither male nor female? How did you learn that? Well, that's how they identify. I understand, that's how they identify. Is it true? Are they? Are you respecting their humanity? And if so, how did you learn that? We need to get good at this. But you're talking about the Crusades or the witch hunts or the French Revolution or the emergence of the masses in the Soviet Union or in Nazi Germany, every time you see the same characteristic, after a while, when the mass formation becomes very deep, uh, people typically start to commit cruelties towards those who do not go along with them, and they do so as if, an ethical, as if it is an ethical duty. To give only one example, uh, two months ago, I was talking with this woman of Iran, and this conversation is, conversation is available on the internet, who lived in Iran during the revolution in 1979, which was the beginning of a large-scale process of mass formation in Iran. And she described how she had seen with her own eyes how a mother reported her son to the state and how she hung the rope around, around his neck when he was on the scaffold and how she claimed to be a heroine for doing so. That's, 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 that's a process that um, the typical end point of mass formation is that in a strange way, 
people are willing to commit cruelties towards everyone who doesn't go along with the masses, and they do so as if it is an ethical duty to do so. And so because they're seeing it as an ethical duty, let's remind ourselves of these separate groups. The people who have fallen out the window, we can't help. Pray for them, hope for a soft landing, hope for a miracle, hope that God intervenes, but we cannot help them. But our family and friends who cling to the window, what are they doing? They're ducking and covering. Why? Because it's so very painful to go against the group. We talked about this earlier this week with apathy. But if we do not confront mass formation, and when we're arguing with people who have fallen for it, we're not trying to change them because we can't. We are in front of other people. We're saying things like, how did you come to know that? For instance, on Twitter, I responded, and I did this on purpose because I'm very curious about how this is going to work on this, this garbage platform, this platform of hate. Um, there's a video that's out that's supposed to be a parody video, and it's not funny. It's, it's supposed to be a parody of the Supreme Court, and I didn't even bother to grab the audio because it's so pathetically bad. And I just wrote back and said, great parody. It's, um, I wrote, great parody is hilarious because it's so close to the truth. This, on the other hand, is terrific self-parody because it displays the full truth about the people behind it. They're sadly unaware of the tricameral system and the role of SCOTUS within the system. So this guy's writing back. It's a great vid. The GOP overplayed its hand, capturing SCOTUS via stolen seat and issuing partisan opinions, overruling the will of the people. The court lacks legitimacy with the people. Republican, small r, government can only govern the consent of the governed. And so I'm going to write back to him. I'm going to say, how did you come to know this violated the will of the people? That's going to be my line. I'll let you know tomorrow how that works. How did you come to know this violates the will of the people? Because he doesn't know that. He thinks he knows it. And I'm not doing it for him because he's gone. I'm doing it for the people who watch. Watching. conversation starter, a way to promote the show. Most importantly, a way to help people think about God in a different way. So the t-shirts that are available at the ToddHermanShow.com, they're all those things. It's a way to help me and Dave the Digital and Julie and Jerry and Michelle, the people who make this show happen on a five-day-a-week basis. We put out a lot of content. And they are the, they're the team that gets it done with me. So it's a way to help us. It's a way to grow the show because we reinvest. Did you know this? I ever tell you this, that we reinvest 10%. Well, first of all, we tithe. And then we reinvest. Um, I do 10% and my partners do 5% to grow the show. We've been testing ad platforms right now. It's Gab and we'll see how that goes. So it's a way to help us promote the show. The pictures on the front are the Lion of Judah quite on purpose. One is just the Lion of Judah and it says the only knee we take is to the Lord. The other is the cross of Christ in the Lion of Judah it says the same thing. The only knee we take is to the Lord. And on the back, it says the ToddHermanShow.com. We're doing that because we want to reintroduce to people the fact that the Lord will return, that that aspect of God still exists. That is the Lion of Judah. And it offers the opportunity to speak about Christ as part of the Godhead with people. Because it's a new way for people to think because people have been robbed. They think of the soft soap Jesus that they're told about this. Uh, it's called uh, therapeutically or moralistically therapeutic deism. That is designing a God that makes you feel good. Yes, it does promote the show on the back because God is our banner. The Lord is our banner. 
It's at the ToddHermanShow.com. Just hit the store link. So if we don't confront this stuff and we don't get and talk with the people who are hanging by their hands on the windowsill, we're in some very, very serious problems because of the cruelty that people will, in fact, go out and and do to one another. I think that mass formation exists as long as mankind exists. It exists uh, uh, as long as mankind exists, but the modern masses um, are not the same as the ancient masses. This is so key, what he's about to say. And it's not necessarily the psychology of the people, but it is the way mass formation occurs. There are very important differences, very important differences that um, uh, are crucial from a psychological perspective. For instance, the ancient masses were masses that gathered physically. They gathered physically. The individuals that constituted the mass were physically present or were physically together. And the modern masses are what is sometimes called, what are sometimes called lonely masses. Modern masses are very often created through the mass media. Modern masses are groups of people that all share the same ideas, that are all in the grip of the same images, that are all in the grip of the same narratives and myths, but that never physically gather, that often live in a rather isolated state. And that is exactly, it is exactly this state of individuals in a lonely mass what makes them extremely susceptible and extremely vulnerable for all kinds of propaganda. <laughs> that's, 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 it's a perfect state in which you can reach someone with propaganda and take in the grip of propaganda. And it's right there. The people shut in their houses, told to stay home and stay afraid. The people separated tribe-like by the strapping on of useless, medically useless, in fact, medically harmful woke masks, which communicate then your status with the injections. The, the, the calling, as did the dictator of uh, the former state of Washington, the, the, the separate country of Washington, the dictator there, Jay Inslee, called us bioterrorists, bioreactors, basically bioterrorists. That stuff speaking to people isolated in their houses. It's super Orwellian. That's the TV screen. Big brother constantly speaking at you. So that question, how did you come to know this? Well, I saw it on the news. I see. Um, did you happen to do any additional research to that? We need to be question askers. One of the skills we need to develop is Socratic inquiry. So Socratic inquiry was in the, in the mind of Socrates and the way he taught it was, he had this belief that we all have the knowledge we need locked in our heads. Incidentally, Noam Chomsky has a similar belief about, about language. And in fact, he might be right about this, that we have all languages installed in our brain, um, but that we are through nurturing taught to speak one or, or two languages. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of evidence for this. And believe it or not, it comes through people who get brain injuries and all of a sudden can speak a different language. We're designed by God. Of course, we have languages installed and the capacity to learn them. But when you have someone who's never spoken French and he gets in a massive accident and this piece of metal goes through his skull and all of a sudden he speaks fluent French, how's that happen? Or he plays the piano because this stuff is installed in our brain. 
So when we use Socratic inquiries to help people uncover what they already know, and we're talking here about the people hanging from the windowsills. The best example I can think of where I've been successful at this with people has been in the recent sense of COVID. This question I ask people, particularly medical professionals about the injections. I will say this. I'm curious, how do they work? How do they work? Right. How do they work? Well, a traditional vaccine. No, no, I, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm, I'm asking about the mRNA. How do the mRNA, how's the mRNA um, injections work? How do they work? Um, it causes your body to produce the virus. All right. I don't mean to interrupt. I'm, I just, I want to, I just make sure I understand. The virus are part of the virus. What part of the virus? Which part? Um, the spike protein. Okay. Uh, just a quick question. Is the spike protein a cytotoxin? Yes, it's a cytotoxin, but it's been tested. These are the safest, most secure, uh, most effective vaccines. That they're the most tested. How are they tested? I, I just, how long did traditional testing last? And you see where this is going. And if you're doing this in a friendly sense with people and a smile on your face and you're interacting with them and you're truly listening to their answers and you're truly watching their body language, you have an opportunity to have them. They're not going to change in front of you. No doctor is going to say, you have convinced me. I will no longer promote these injections. But our job is to plant seeds of doubt. When people have fallen into a cult, your best line as a loved one, your best line of defense is to introduce seeds of doubt. Because if you tell them they're wrong, if you tell them that's a cult, if you say these things, it's everything they're taught to expect. And when they have gone through mass formation, it's everything they feel. But if you plant the seeds of doubt, as they go through life in the next few weeks, the next months, as they watch the news, those conversations will come back to them. Wow, that guy asked me how they worked. Are the spike proteins cytotoxic? Yes, they are. I am seeing reports of myocarditis. Oh my goodness, the FDA's admitted that exists. The seeds of doubt are what adds up. Because that's what we have to do with these groups of people. Meaning that in this situation, if the people who, uh, who, uh, who want to speak out, the dissident voices, if in one way or another they could unify and form one group, then it's very, probably the second group of about 40% of the people might switch direction and join them. And that would mean that the mass formation is over. Yes. So this, but so that, 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 that's one of the, of the, of the solutions to the problem. If the, the, if all, but, but if all the people who, who, uh, who want to speak out and who, who, who want to go again, who, who are not hypnotized and who, who, who want to do something against the crowd or against the, 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 the mainstream narrative, if they would unify and become one group, they would be powerful enough uh, to, uh, to change the direction of the middle group, which would mean that the majority of the people uh, uh, would go in a different direction uh, than the people who are really hypnotized. And he gives some great examples. I've done this on the show. He talks about the experiments they did. I think it was Dr. Ash, where he brought in seven plants. 
like they were actors and they then, then some real people in the room. And you've seen this experiment where they, they show lines, their lines drawn on paper and the lines are clearly different links, clearly. But the first seven people say they're the same. They're the same. And then they do another iteration of this, which is longest. And the people pick the shortest line. C is longest. And by the time it gets to the seventh person, like the, 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 the first experiment, a guy said, you guys are crazy. Those are not the same length. The second time around, he changed. He went with the group. He took the knee. He folded. Because it became too painful to be the outcast. The outcast. On the day of Pentecost, the outcasts gathered 3,000 people at least. And they gathered in front of the same Romans who had murdered the body of Jesus Christ before he rose again in glory. 3,000 people gathered. Prior to that, they had believed this man just, oh, he's a prophet, says some cool stuff, gives people fish, cures some people. But then he was dead. And a short time later, they went straight into being baptized because they saw something. There was no mass formation. There was no time for it. There was no mass communication. There was no time for it. There was simply a few weeks in which people saw enough that the outcast gathered people and said, hey, let's join. Let's join into a church body. When the apostle Peter spoke about what had been done to Jesus, you all know he was crucified. Most of you saw it or many of you saw it. You all know that he performed miracles. Many of you saw it. You know people who saw it. You all know that he fulfilled the messianic prophecies such as, and he goes through that. And someone's people are saying, well, what do we do? Well, then you repent and be baptized right now. That's what you do. Yes, it's an argument for a resurgence of the faith. It's also an argument for gathering together to say, we speak from this knowledge base. We speak from this architecture, or rather we live within this architecture. We speak from the solid base. We speak from a base that does not honor lies. It does not honor deception. It does not honor hatred. It does not honor cruelty. It does not honor being cruel to the neighbor, even if they're wrong. It doesn't honor any of that. It's just the reverse. It honors loving thy neighbor and in fact, loving thy enemy. It honors telling the truth, even when the truth is incredibly hard to tell. It has given us the ability, and I firmly believe this, loved ones, I firmly believe God has given us the ability to be the ones who do not fall for mass formation. I believe we exist for this moment. I believe you exist for this exact moment. That's why we open the show the way that we do. Will you make a list of the people in your life who are hanging from the windowsill? Will you begin to ask them the simple question of how did you come to know that? Study Socratic inquiry. Maybe we'll do some examples of it on the show. Not that Socrates was a Christian, he wasn't. There's some other ways to do this. Maybe we'll talk about Black's Law and the rules of cross-examination. Never ask a question to which you don't know the answer. The other option is to let the other side do it. 
mass formation is based always upon lies. Go find the mass formation based upon a truth. Who again is the father of lies? And what will your role be in this? That's the Todd Herman Show. We so appreciate your support. We appreciate you sharing it with friends, telling friends about it, buying the t-shirts. Now, please do go be well, be strong, be kind, and let's all be in prayer that God will make us really good at this stuff. Like the apostles were. <laughs>